Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Well, hi everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Investing <laughs> Foundation Podcast. As you can see, it's quite hilarious today on Multifamily Monday, and that is for good reason. And that good reason is that we're welcoming back two prior guests who actually came on before talking a lot about syndication, a lot about buying multifamily, and those guests shall be the one and only Ben and Sam. <laughs> so it's a pleasure to be with you. We have Ben Lemovich and Sam Grooms joining us today on Multifamily Monday. Welcome, Ben. Welcome, Sam. Thanks for having us. And so if anybody's wondering why she said the one and only, I don't know if you can see it, but Ben actually named his video feed the one and only Ben. <laughs> that is true. If you're waiting for me to apologize for that, you're going to be waiting for a long, long time. <laughs> no, just give me context to it. No apologies needed. So guys, welcome back. It's been a few months. Mm -hmm. A lot has happened. And I mean, a lot has happened since we've last talked. So give us, um, give us an update only in an update way that you guys can. I just want to say I'm so happy to be back. This is by far and away the most fun podcast <laughs> I, I, I ever get the pleasure of being on. And I do a lot of these things, but like this is fantastic. And it has absolutely zero to do with Jason. <laughs> Nothing at all. Absolutely zero to be, you know, but Philly's always really nice to see you. I, I'm, I'm excited that you decided to join us. I've been looking forward to this. See, I'm, I'm comedy relief. Jason's just a pretty guy. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Your okay, roles are I could take that in so many different directions right now, but I think I need to behave myself. Family, family, family. Center, family focused. Yes. Or so. Family so, focused. Back to you two. Give us an update on where you're at right now. Uh, we just closed on a, another deal, what, two weeks ago, Ben? Yeah, yeah, just about, ago, yeah. This, this Friday. Um, 117 units. We bought it for $10.75 million, about a $4.5 million raise. Um, we can get into that a little bit later. We just had our Phoenix syndication workshop about a month ago. Um, ben, show your shirt really quick. <laughs> My boobs. <laughs> You can't see it. Ben does have the Phoenix Syndication Workshop 2019 shirt on. Yes, right there. A great turnout and was for a great cause. Yeah, we were able to donate about $11,500 to a hero's home. So that, that was awesome. Yeah, and, and just the, the blanket answer of where we are at. Well, in the past six months, we bought $20 million worth of real estate. And it's represented by about 200, I think 215 units exactly. And reposition stabilized market valuation, as far as we can tell, is probably in the range of $32 million. So we paid about 20. We've got between the two deals, probably $3 million plus or minus in repair costs. And we're getting a value of uh, about $32 million. Okay, guys, so we're, we're in a market, right, where everybody says we can't find deals. So how are you finding deals? It's so funny. I'm working on an article for Bigger Pockets right now specifically about that. Um, 
what's important, I think, for people to understand is that the money is always in the delta. It's not in the market. So if you conceptually understand that in order to make money, what a deal is, is something that's better than what the market is. Yes, it's hard to find. Yes, it's challenging to find. Yes, it's, it, it manifests itself in different ways. But what you are looking for when you say, I'm looking for a deal, what, what a deal is. I mean, Sam and I may do two deals this year. We may do three. There's people who do 10 or 15. You know, I don't know how to source that many deals that I would call good deals, good enough to put our names on. So we might do two. We'd be happy to do one. We'd be ecstatic to do three. It's very difficult to see how we can do more than that because what a deal is, is a delta to the market. So if the market is here, we, we got we to gotta somehow buy over here to create a spread. But what this also means is that, hey, if the market is hot and it's at five cap, well, then maybe your deal is at eight cap. But if the market is less hot and it's at eight cap, maybe your deal is a 12 cap. Now, personally, I'd rather buy an eight cap in a five market because the multiple is a lot better than a 12 cap at a, uh, in an eight cap market. But the basic principle I'm going after here, and Sam, tell me if you disagree, but it's, it's always, who cares about the market? We don't care about the market. Put me into any market. Once I understand the dynamics of the market, I understand what everybody else is doing. I understand what defines that market in terms of investment return. Then I simply look for an opportunity that has a delta to that. And then it's, it's, important to, it's important to point out that we're not buying that deal or buying that ACAP. We're creating it over the value add process of one to three years. Free sponsorship. No, and and well, that's huge, right? And I think that it's one of the important factors that people are missing because they're not understanding the value repositioning phase of the deal and how to build that back. And that's why so many people are stuck in the sidelines, either, either just looking at stuff and saying, well, the broker's sending me this and it seems like all the meat's off the bone. But you guys are, are seeing the deal and seeing where it's currently at versus the market, finding that delta and then implementing your business plan. And why, why are other people missing this? Why, why, why well, not being, go ahead. And, and you don't take what the broker says and just use that in your underwriting. Um, I think the first deal we did, the broker told us there was $120 of value add. We found $340 of value add and we're proving it. Oh. So you have to find something where other people aren't noticing it or don't see what's happening. And uh, well, out. in fact, the bro, I just got off the phone with him yesterday. I mean, this is a family friendly show, so I have to use appropriate language. But the broker is kind of pooping himself a little bit at seeing what we're doing. <laughs> Okay, because he didn't, he didn't expect that. <laughs> you know, you make me use child-friendly language. What do you think I'm going to do? I talked to... Well, I just want to ask one thing about the value-add. So the $340 in value-add you're creating, right? That, that's basically you're, you're talking about in, in revenue. So you're going to find that in revenue. And ideally, he was saying that maybe you could find 120 Yep. Pretty indicators that you said, well, that's great. I, I appreciate your 120 but... I'm able to find 340. Why, why did nobody else see this? Where were you guys finding that? So he was planning on going in with just your typical lipstick value add. Um, not too much. Maybe resurfacing the countertops, uh, refacing cabinets, not really upgrading appliances. So you're very basic $2,000 per unit turn. 
um, an upgrade. We saw a what's happening at a school down the road, um, and what there's a all furnished property that's completely remodeled. So it has the finishes where we were looking at, where nobody else has. But being all furnished, they can only cater to a certain type of person. Um, not many people are willing to spend an extra few hundred dollars a month on their rent for all furnished. So there was no middle ground and we noticed that. And so we said, hey, I bet you we can find 98 people, there's 98 unit property that want that finish level, but can't afford all furnished or don't want all furnished. Um, so it's something like that where you're seeing something that maybe doesn't exist in the market yet and you're creating a new product. And so it makes it a little bit harder to underwrite your rents and you're gonna have to work with your lender for them to underwrite them as well. Um, but it, you're, it's a lot easier when you're creating a new product because um, brokers aren't underwriting to something that doesn't exist. They want a proof of concept. See, that's awesome. And, and I don't know if you're going to know these numbers off the top of your head, but in terms of your CapEx budget that you had anticipated, if you were going to go on the broker's recommendation. <laughs> Do we know those numbers off the top of our heads, Sam? <laughs> put you on the spot. But in terms of if, if you were going to go after just those nominal, you know, uh, cookie cutter, $120 rent bumps, what was that budget looking like compared to how much more are you spending to achieve almost another $220 in rent bumps? I mean, how much did your cap? Well, out of the about three, and, and this is true all across Phoenix. Um, and we can discuss why, and that's part of what I'm doing in the article, but basically we look for that $300 plus or minus of value add and about 175 of it. Typically you'll find in the LTL. So to answer your question is by simply cleaning up a little bit, we could have probably recaptured about $175 per door of LTL. Uh, but the, the 125 is a function of making something much nicer. That's how under market the classic rents were. So that's just increasing the classic rents as on renewals when we're not renovating them. Incredible. I guess the point I'm trying to put is that going for those premium outfits here, your CapEx budget, although higher, probably the range that it increased from going just for the, the, the classic to where it is, is not in range. You're getting so much more. Impressive. Well, and, and there's a lot of perspective on that too, because you're talking about tenant class. Yeah. On one hand. On the other hand, you're talking about what Sam and I discussed, and this was always my feeling, and I brought it to him and he agreed, which was nice because it would have been a problem if he didn't agree. But my perspective is this cycle won't last forever. And if we happen to still be holding this property when the cycle changes and everybody starts offering concessions and we begin sort of a race to the bottom as it relates to the rents a little bit, I want to have the best looking the best outfitted property in the submarket, because that's what's giving me staying power, my property, staying power in a downward environment. And so this is a preservation play. It's, it's, we're deploying capital now and everybody thinks it's strictly because we want higher rents. Yes, we want higher rents and we're getting them because of the quality finishes. But what people don't understand and what's really going on in my head is that if I'm still holding this thing, and three years from now, the market cools off and I have the rent growth, the growth slows down. I want to have it done because it'll be a lot more difficult to deploy money into a slower market than it is now. We can justify it now. Right? So to me, that was icing on the cake um, to give us staying power. We looked at it as an insurance on our rents. Um, but to go back to your numbers question, 
Um, so they were, I think they had 2,500 for their $120 bump. We spent 7,300 or are spending 7,300 per unit for that $340 bump. Um, so that you, and, and maybe you're not getting quite the return on the additional dollars that you were on that first 2,500, but if deals are the problem, you're, you're still making money off of it. Maybe not quite as much. Maybe if, if you had all the deals you want, maybe you want three deals instead of this one because you get a higher return on those the renovation dollars. But if deals are the scarcity right now, I want to pack as much value add into that as possible. Well, and you're talking about a, a spread of basically $5,000. Well, listen, 5000 I spend $5,000 to create $125 uh, per month. So it's a, it's a basically $1,500 return on $5,000. I mean, that's not a bad cap rate right. yeah, so on that money. Yeah, and, and that's a great point, right? So and I guess you would take it, you spend a little bit more, but now you're playing the market hedge, which, which is really, really important because everybody else who's doing just that classic approach right now, who's maybe your competitors, well, what's gonna happen four or five years down the road, none of us have the crystal ball. If we see some kind of downtick for whatever reason and something goes a different direction, well, they're gonna have to either feed the property, which they're gonna be probably cash trapped at that time, where you guys have already done that renovation. And although you may not see that returns now, it's gonna pay off dividends then because your concessions are not gonna look the same as what they're gonna have to offer because they're gonna have the concession for their unit. Right. Not right. Not to mention the R&M budget uh, with all of the new stuff, not to mention the CapEx budget with all of the new stuff. I mean, you, you just it's an insurance policy. You're, you're protecting yourself. You're hedging yourself for the future. But I want to go back for a minute and say something really brilliant. Please do. Should this come from Sam? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Yeah, Sam, go ahead. <laughs> When we were talking about finding deals and how there are no deals in this environment, it's really hard to find deals in the small stuff right now. Uh, in fact, I, I, that's where I don't think deals exist anymore is in the small stuff because it's so achievable to so many people. In the big stuff, what you have is this dynamic where some very sophisticated players came in in 2012, 2013, 2014, and they bought apartments for, with a business plan of cap rate compression. That was their entire business plan. They did not want to remodel. They knew they weren't going to remodel. They bought quality assets and they sat on them, stabilized them and sat on them. They knew that the cycle would change. And on the upswing, when the cap rates compressed, somebody would come along and create an exit for them. Now, in order to have that exit, they realized they needed to leave meat on the bone for guys like Sam and me. Because we're okay paying a four and a half cap as long as we have that value add because that's where we're gonna make the money. So there were people, <clears throat> and it's not unheard of, and it's quite sophisticated, and it's it's, I'd love to be that guy because then I don't have to do any remodeling. I don't have to do any management. You know, I just buy the property and I hold on to it for a few years. And then if I'm buying it at 10 cap and I'm selling it at four cap, I'm making money. I don't have to increase my NOI. I don't have to do anything. Okay. So, you know, people sometimes accuse us, oh, you find unsophisticated. Sellers. No, we're buying from very sophisticated sellers. 
sellers who knew they were the appropriate seller for that cycle. In this uh, buyer, for that cycle. In this cycle, they're a seller and we're a buyer. In the next cycle, we're a seller and somebody else is a buyer. And that's how real estate works. So people ask sometimes, well, you know, if, if these guys have so much value add, why don't they just do the work? I'm saying if you paid $34,000 a unit and you're getting out at 90, why in the hell would you do the work? Well, and why take on the risk? I mean, he doesn't have the cash laying around, so he's going to take a loan. His debt service is going to go up. What if he can't prove these increased rents? And then he's stuck with all this extra debt service. Um, yeah. And so why take on that risk? If so he as can far as he's concerned, you know, he times his investment. More than double so his you're money. You're right, Ben. That was pretty brilliant. I'll give you that. <laughs> One for Ben. But, but, but that's, that's, it doesn't exist in the fourplex space. It doesn't exist in the 10-unit space. It doesn't exist in the 24-unit space. It doesn't exist in the 60-unit space. Because those buyers, whenever they bought, they were never sophisticated enough to understand this and play the market game and time the market. Those were cash flow buyers. And so as soon as they bought, they did everything they could to drive the cash flow up. Well, now if they want to sell, what they have are repositioned, optimized building. And that's what people reaching out to you and saying, there's no meat on the bone. Yeah, because they're looking in that space. You got to be looking at institutional players who understand cycles, who understand the markets better than that. Who are, who are past the cash flow. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and so if I'm understanding correctly, which I may not be, but let's just say I am, would you say that today's deals, that finding the value in the deal is not as important as finding the level of forced appreciation achievable with the deal? Yes. That's only a yes because we understand, well, listen, the deals that we underwrite, we may be getting in at four and a half cap, but by the end of year one, we're at five and a half cap, fully stabilized, we're at eight and a quarter, eight and a half cap. We're at eight and a half cap, which cash flows very nicely. Eight and a half cap, cash flows all day long. The only thing is we're in a five cap market. So aside for cash flow, very nice by year three, we also have a ton of value built into this property for the next guy who wants a turnkey investment. So looking now for your cycle, right? And for your holding a property, what is your business plan? Are you, what is your level of meat that you're going to leave for the next buyer? <laughs> that's a moving target. You want to take that, Sam? So that's an ongoing discussion that we've been having with the broker. So we use the same broker on these last two acquisitions. Yeah. Um, and we, we're likely going to use him on the exits. Um, but so that's an ongoing conversation we have with him. How much do we need? What there's a, there's a cap rate discount or premium, I guess, for value add people. They're willing to pay a lower cap rate because they have that Delta that Ben's talking about. Um, whereas when you sell a stabilized property, they want a higher cap rate uh, cause they don't have that meat on the bone. Um, so we're trying to figure out the difference in those cap rates. Is it worth only doing, 20 to 40% of the value add and leaving the rest on that. So it's a constant calculation and we're always looking at it. Um, and I think every other day we have an email back and forth deciding uh, how, what we want to do, changing our approach. But um, it's, also, it's also very dynamic, you know, with, with, at this level, at the institutional level, you know, the business plan in and of itself is to maximize the return. 
So the, the, the soonest we can get in and out of the property and to deliver minimum return that we promised and take the risk off the table, that's not promised, underwrote. That's what we do. So, you know, I just got off the phone with a broker yesterday and I'm saying to him, listen, we walked in at $58,000 of collections. Uh, January was at 63. It looks like February is going to come back at about 68, 69. There's numbers that support 72, 73, probably not 73, but maybe 72 in March. And we're remodeling units and putting units online at uh, an average rent bump, like we said, $300. So we're remodeling five, six units a month and putting them online. So by the end of the first year, we should be getting really close, if not over $80,000. So with 50% of the community remodeled, we are going to get from 58 to $80,000. So there's no deals, except for the fact that for the million dollars that we'll have spent in the first year, we're creating about a quarter million dollars of annualized NOI, which capitalizes at five cap to $5 million of value. So will you spend a million dollars to create $5 million of value? Okay. So, so at that point we have a choice. We, we can, we can try to let the next guy finish what we started. Here's what, you know, here's how we do it. Here's the property management company. They'll be happy to stay on the property for you and, and continue the process. They've got everything figured out. Here's where we buy materials. Here's, everything's in place, right? You can finish it. So we can get out at, you know, 12 and a half million, and deliver to people 40% cash on cash return in a year. If we can do that, then we do it. But, th but not, everybody, not everybody has that same goal. So you might have 50% cash on cash return in a year, but what if you don't have another deal to put that cash into the next year? Right. Whereas if, if, where if I, I can finish my business plan for the entire property and not just leave minimum for the next guy, maybe I get actual re uh, more dollars on my return even though my percentage is lower because now that cash is just going to sit there once I get, once I exit the property. Well, and that's the, that's the thing about internal rate, right? It only works if you, if you, if you reinvest at the same rate of return, so, right? So it's a balancing act between your equity multiple and your IRR and which one do you, how many deals are coming in and what does your investor care more about? Yeah, it is, but it's also cyclical, right? Because risk is a function of cycles, right? So, so at some point, like the multiple is fine and dandy, but if you can take risk off the table, maybe you take lower multiple, higher IRR, higher cash and cash, lower multiple, but zero risk because all the money is off the table out of the, out yeah. out of the game. So, so it's, a, it's a moving target. So we underwrite all the way up into 10 years. Our preferred exit is three to five, but if we do that, we're stabilized. We're selling a stabilized asset. But like, would we not sell 18 months into the deal if we can create that 40 or 50% cash? Yeah, we would. We would sell and put the money into the next deal. So we got a lot of ways we can go. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this route first. No, actually, I'm going yeah, to Actually, I'm going to follow Pili, if you don't mind. So you go whatever way you want to go. So we're going to talk about syndication, right? And so that's your model, Phoenix Syndication Workshop. Talking about just really, you know, we go on Sam's point. And so, okay, I exited the deal 18 months out. Now I got money and, and I'm, I'm either getting hit with tax. I got to be able to put it somewhere else where it's a, it's a parable point. Do you feel that your model is going to stay with this model that you see? 
or is or is there ever the opportunity where you want to find the property of course to get that value refi and roll or do some of that characterization we're going to hold the uh, properties for long term or is that not your model and not anywhere in your in your uh, business plan? And it, I think it's up to the investors. Um, so what do our pool of investors in that deal want to do? Um, we've, we've talked to our investors in the first deal and we know that they want to be out as soon as possible. They want that return higher return number as high as possible for the IR and cash on cash versus the equity multiple being higher. Um, so we'll exit out. So, and it's just keeping the communication open to your, your pool of investors and seeing what they want. Um, I think South Mountain, this, the second one we did, that that's something I could see us holding on to for a little bit longer. I mean, you can, you can tell me if you disagree. Um, that, yeah. that, that area is a really nice area. And I think there's a lot of future growth there. Um, so, and, and it's a different investor pool. So I, we think that they might be willing to hold on for a little bit longer, um, do the entire value add um, as far we, and in determining if we're going to hold on after the value add, so after that three years that you're talking about, say refinance, take all of our money out and just hold on for cash flow. Um, the only way, unless all of our investors are on board for the beginning, I think the only way we would do that, go that long, um, is if there were market, there was a market cycle and we were forced to, because we didn't have the exit we wanted to. Sure. Now looking at your buyer pool, right? So the business plan you have, would you feel it's just targeting institutional buyers, right? That that's your back and approach, and that's who you're going to be is really to have some institutional. Not necessarily. I mean, one of the reasons we're staying, we're we're specifically staying under 150 units, uh, because a couple of dentists from Calgary, a couple of CPAs, uh, you know, that's that's the buyer, a professional who makes more money than they're willing to walk away from but realizes they need to hold some property and they're not in the business of doing value add. They're not professionals at this. Uh, they're simply, you know, especially with the current tax law, there's a lot of people out there who would be able to expense in the first year ungodly amount of depreciation and roll it forward. Um, and right now the timing is good before the elections because, you know, if the Democrats, you know, you never know what's going to happen, right? So you might want to take that depreciation. So at least for Silver Tree, that's why we're specifically looking at an early exit because we think we can interest somebody like that. There's, there's a lot of value uh, centers in a deal like that over the next couple of years, politically speaking. Now, if the market, the market turned and say we're back in, say, 2012, 2013, then we'll hold on for five years. Then and buy a bunch more. Yeah, and buy a whole lot. Um, I think when you're when you're near a, what could 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 be a peak, you just want to get in and out as soon as possible. I think that one of the most important things for people listening is that. So yeah, you guys are, are doing this business plan. You'd be open to selling eighteen months, but regardless of of if that happens or not, you, you underwrote the deal out to 10 years. So you, you have time in your side and you have the ability to, to transact as you want because you, you've already written this deal out for the long term. Whether or not you sell it in year, year one, year two, year five, you're not going to be forced at some point because, you know, right. we only ran three years out. So at that point, what, what do we do? You know, and the market cycles change. But right. And people listen to that you're not just taking one approach, although the approach is open for you to, to make a choice, you have the ability to withstand whatever could happen within the cycle. I also want to point out is that you guys 
you, I want to point out something that Sam said. You said it's constant communication. It's a constant conversation that you're having with your broker that you're having together about exit strategy, about what's happening with the property. Multifamily is not something you just buy and like leave alone. You're having this constant communication together. And that's, uh, that's, that's huge. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's very fluid. It's, uh, you know, people think that like we, you know, you set it and forget it. You know, I get a report four times a week from the PM and then monthly and, and, and these people are on, on our speed dials and uh, it's, it's very labor intensive. Now it's white collar work, you know, it's, I'm not lifting houses and moving them. I'm not doing that. Sure, you could have hands. Not doing that ever. Not, <laughs> not doing that and not allowing anybody that works with me to do that either, because that's like I, I, I think with your capacity up up in here, you should be letting somebody else do that shit. It's it's fun every once in a while. I, I so um, the property we yeah. just bought it has a big fireplace, and we're turning we're turning, that's a huge clubhouse that's pretty underused right now, and we're putting in a gym at half the clubhouse. And there's what a big needs to happen. What was it? And there's a big fireplace right where we want the gym to be. And so everybody's talking about how much it's going to take cost to take out this fireplace. And I said, I'll jump in there with a sledgehammer and do it. I've done it before. <laughs> I have no problem. And, and Ben's just sitting there shaking his head wanting no part of it. I, I think it's fun to get in there at points, right? So, so you can always look at the advantages, right? So maybe people that are listening that are hands-on. Well, we brought a 48 unit, right? There was floor, de floor deflections um, on the second story unit because at some point they had, they had decks out there and they had cut the decks away, but someone, you know, for six feet of decks, whoever had cut the decks away literally just cut the decks away and never made an attachment with the floor joists back to the wall. So for that point, scared a lot of people off, but you know, you have hands-on experience, you can have a creative solution and not know it's, and just know very easy, it's not a big deal. It's a very right. easy, easy solution. So you can find value where other people are saying, oh, there's structural defects. You know, the engineer said the building's going to fall down and all those other points. Well, it's a brick building. It's not going anywhere. It hit, hit it with five tanks and the thing's not even going to feel it. Right. However, you know, simple effects like that on 16 units. Well, we got a huge discount for it. We're able to get in at a great point, get, you know, get a credit for it, build it back in and have it corrected within, you know, the better part of a month. Probably for, you know, I think we're at $1,200 a unit on that point. But we Jason. You are a sexy, sexy man. That's all I can say. I held the building up with my hands as, yes. as I did this. For 27 days straight, that's how long it took. So while Pili was, uh, you know, tending to the kids here. Yes. <laughs> well, no, I mean, let's take it down to some of the simple things that we learn when we start really systematizing, getting into real estate. You learn to put the hammer down. Use your yeah. brain, put the hammer down, but you've got to fill your brain with something. So Jason has a lot of construction abilities. You guys have your own things that you can bring to the table. So everybody that's listening out there, think about this. Think about what you can bring to the table. If you're not a construction guy, don't go in and like start saying that the structure is fine. Well, you don't know it's fine. Take what you know and bring it to the table. And that's huge for partnerships, right? And so, exactly. I mean, that's a huge partnership, and that's why uh, Ben and Sam work. I can understand 
why Ben has Sam. I have a hard time understanding why Ben keeps Sam or uh, Sam, Sam keeps Ben, ben around. But, <laughs> but at that point, I, I, I'm sure there's something there for the partnership. But we'll, we'll let that lie. Well, it's also well, going back to what we were saying about deals. You know, everybody. I take my commentary about you being sexy right back. I'm taking it back. Forget I said anything. That's why. I still think you're sexy. Anyway, so back. Back to what we were saying about deals. It's all mindset. You both would never say there are no deals to be had, ever. Never. You find them. No. You would make deals happen. Listen yep. to this, everyone. You make deals happen. Deals don't just slap you in the face. Well, sometimes and, but And we need $300 of value out here in Phoenix, yes. but you don't need that everywhere. Here we have almost no vacancy, right? And I can't underwrite no vacancy for the next 10 years. I need to assume that we're gonna have five, 6% vacancy, 9% economic loss at least. Um, where Phoenix right now, you're getting two or 3% economic loss. Um, so I have to penalize myself from day one in this market um, and have extra value add to offset that increased economic loss that I'm gonna to have to assume, uh, assume that I'll have over 10 years. Um, and not every market has that. So if you have a market that has a more stable, long-term vacancy rate um, and you don't have to increase your vacancy rate in your underwriting, which is backwards for a lot of people. You have to under, you have to basically assume you're going to manage it worse than the other guy. Um, so as long as you don't have that, your, your value add doesn't need to be 300. That's just what we need here in Phoenix. That's awesome. Now, so let's transition a little bit because we're, we're coming up on time, but I want to, I want to touch on the podcast, right? Yes. I, so for all this fun we've had today, this is not your only chance to get this fun of, of this uh, dynamic duo on the other mm -hmm. side. What's, what's happened with the podcast? What are you guys doing? Well, we are, we're launching a podcast. We don't really know the name yet. We've started recording shows, but we don't know the name. We don't know how many shows in the first season. We don't know anything. We're completely <laughs> just doing it by the seat of our pants. And I am following my strength. I'm a teacher. I, I'm good at explaining complex subjects in a way that people can understand. And so I, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing it I, the same way I've always done. Like I do something and it works. I tell people I do something else and it doesn't work. I tell people and I explain why, why did this work? Why did this not work? So as I grow, all of the content I put out over time has always been a reflection of my own journey and my own growth. Well, <clears throat> We're at a point where, you know, we bought $20 million in real estate in six months. It's likely going to be $40 million by the time 2019 is out. It's going to be $100 million by the end of 2020. And we don't know much. We know some things at this point, enough to talk about on the podcast. So it's, it's going to be a very different beast. No guests, roundtable discussion. Uh, we might invite one guest for the entire season to, to sit at the round table and, and just talk, to, uh, talk with us. But it's, you know, we're pre-recording this stuff because we want a certain amount of continuity and, and we want high, high quality, multifamily syndication, institutional level discourse. Um, that discourse actually helped us a ton. So Ben and I connected a little over a year ago and we spent hours a day on the phone having this high level discourse back and forth on the market, what we can do, what would work, what should be our business plan and, and just everything, every line item on a PL, we sit here and had hours and hours of conversation on. And we just figured recording these 
is our best way of providing that education. Um, not everybody has someone that they can throw those ideas back and forth with. So listening to what Ben and I do, I think is going to be a huge value add for people that want to learn about this space. So wait a minute, let me get this straight. You guys are basically putting all the content that you guys talk about into your podcast. That's like a high yeah. level mastermind that exactly. people pay thousands of dollars to, to go to. You guys are going to put in a podcast and put it out there for free. Yep. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Aren't you worried that you'll have competitors? <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're not worried because I believe that uh, success is a function of creation less than competition. And, and, and so whatever will be, will be, but you know, I feel a calling to sit down with a couple of really smart dudes and talk shop. Okay. And the abundance mindset. Yeah. Right. They assume, well, why are you going to do that? Well, ultimately everybody brings everybody higher. Right. So, so if I get one thing from you and you guys, one thing from me, we both just got better. I mean, if you don't think that people will find us and decide we're knowledgeable and want to invest with us, you're nuts. It's going to happen one way or the other. Or, or if they come down to PSW next year and instead of 50 people there, we're going to end up with 350 people there. You know, one way or the other, financially, we'll figure it out. The point is that follows delivering such value that people can't find anyplace else. And that's what we're about to do. So that's, I mean, that's, that, that's everything. Abundance mindset, collaboration, not competition. It's, it's putting it out there to the world and getting back so much more for what you yeah. put out just because you put it out. Yeah. I love that mindset. Yeah. That's great. Well, guys, this I think what's it going to be called, Sam? Multifamily uh, syndication unscripted. Yep. This last, last, Last show. I think it took uh, us three episodes to get it right as we're recording. Right, <laughs> but but even on even on a growth platform, right? Just like you said, okay, this is the process. We're going to get into it. I was having a talk with someone the other day. They're like, you know, what kind of mic do you use? The camera. Just get started. Start. Yeah. Just get started. Get going. There's so much you can do with it out there. So if you are thinking about uh, starting a growth platform out there in some approach and listening to this. Just start. There's no, uh, we call our early podcast the dark days. The dark days. We call the, the episodes without Peely the dark days. <laughs> so we have lots of dark days here on the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Thank you to the listeners for sticking with us. Thank you. Thank you. But on that fact, guys, really awesome. Thank you so much for coming back on. We're hopefully going to have you guys back on in a couple months when we're at 60 million. Yes. So I don't want to get months. So good. Good. And it's always a pleasure. Peely and I, I tolerate Jason. And <laughs> I have a shirt that says that. I tolerate myself. <laughs> nice. Yep. So, so once again, uh, multifamily syndication unscripted. Yes. Coming to you soon at a live theater near you or from Phoenix, one of those two places. Uh, I'm sure you can find it iTunes, Stitcher, all the other platforms when it launches. Uh, we do have the Phoenix syndication workshop. Mm -hmm. Next one coming uh, it's going to be next year. We just do it once a year. I think January 25th is the early date, early date, but cool. And if you want to talk more multifamily syndication, hear more about what Ben and Sam have going on, best way to find you guys again. Uh, for me, whitehavencapital.com. And for me, just ask Awesome. Guys, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thank you so very much, Ben and Sam.
Thanks, Thanks Jason. Guys. Thank you. And uh, for listeners out there, if you like what you hear, do us a huge favor, pass this along to someone else listening. Let them know all the awesome stuff you got here today. And we really appreciate you. And again, give us a five-star rating review on iTunes. It definitely helps us find others out there. This is Jason with Peely today. Yay! With Multifamily Monday. Happy Monday, guys. Go out there, take action. Talk to you shortly. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.